brought to you by the good folks at Guadney Buick GMC, next to Sam's in North Little Rock. This is Guadney Unplugged with Scott Romine. Hey, Scott Romine here. Hope your Saturday is going well. We are going to speak with Robert Barco. He is a lifelong fan of George Michael and Wham! And during his early high school years, his friends started pointing out a resemblance. He's had a successful career as a solo recording artist and producer, and after the passing of his idol, he began dedicating his talents to pay tribute to the late superstar George Michael in a huge live show. Robert, great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so great to be on the air with you. Man, Thanks for having me. No, absolutely. Um, where did you grow up at? Well, I was born in Ohio, but I uh, spent a lot of my years growing up in South Florida. I gotcha. Um, where did the interest in singing? How young did you start start doing that? Well, that's a pretty funny question. I was singing from the time I could uh, make noise. I, you know, my parents used to tell me I'd be sitting in the car seat in the back, singing along with the radio, and then started changing words when I was little. And so I've been singing since you know I I could make sound. <laughs> Man, I got it. You know, I. I it, I remember when Wham first hit, and I was the age I bought their cassettes or whatever. I don't know how old you are. Do you, do you remember that from very young? I remember it very clearly because um, when Wham started to become popular, I had never recalled you know, hearing their music at that time, but I had so many friends saying to me, my gosh, you look so much like this new, uh, the singer from this new group called Wham. Have you ever heard of them? I'm like, I've heard of them a little bit, but I don't really, you know, I've never heard a song of theirs. And um, the first time, you know, I'd been hearing it so much, but I was over at a friend's house. And sure enough, he says to me, oh, my gosh, you look just like this this hot new singer named George Michael from a group called Wham. I said, dude, everybody's saying that. <laughs> and he's like, well, would you <laughs> he's like, would you like to hear their record? I just got it. And he put it on and it was it was such a, I remember it so clearly. It was such a magical moment because, um, you know, I was a lover of music and I loved all types of music, but it was, it was almost like a spiritual mystical click in my heart. The first time I heard George Michael's voice, it just captivated me. Um, you know, that high tenor and, yes. um, it was like, I had found my musical home in his music. And, uh, and then here was the crazy thing is, um, I had, um, I played football, in high school, but I was also in the drama club. They were kind of two polar opposites worlds, but I did well in both. And when I began to sing, um, everybody's like, Oh my gosh, you not only look like this guy, but you sound like him too. So I always say that tributing George Michael chose me. So yeah, I remember it clearly when I first heard Wham. Well, you know, he toured and, and did shows up until like 2012. Did you ever get the chance to see him live? I saw him twice um, during his faith tour in 1988. I saw him at the Miami Orange Bowl, and then I also saw him at Madison Square Gardens. Both times, I had fifth row and center. My friends, uh, my friend, his sister was like a person who worked for Ticketmaster, so we always got good tickets. But yeah, I saw him twice. You know, I just me personally, I've always thought the video to Faith was only second to Thriller. And it's so simple. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's just it so simple, but it's perfect. 
Oh yeah, he was amazing on camera. When was it yeah, that, that you when did you realize, look, I've got the voice down? Was there an, a magic moment where you said, Okay, the trick to doing it is this, but you had to figure it out. When was that? You know, I think my general tone was was, you know, just right out of the gate, uh, you know, for me naturally was very similar to his. Um, um, you know, in high school, I, you know, I really loved his music, loved his voice. So I was always a part of talent shows and would always do his music. And, um, I started to just really hone in on some, some of the finer, like articulations and nuances of his vocal delivery at a really young age. I mean, even till t today, I'm just constantly listening, going back, studying, studying the master on how he would pronounce certain words. And so, um, you know, it's been kind of a lifelong quest for me, you know, learning his voice. I love that you, you do not do any of this lip syncing that I know probably some shows do. You can do it all live. That's kind of yeah. sets you apart, <laughs> you know? Oh, thanks. Yeah. I've done some uh, shows where I've gotten hired for private shows in them. Um, there will be other impersonators there doing, say, Michael Jackson or Madonna. And it's it's always kind of weird because I don't lip sync, but pretty much it seems a lot of them do. And <laughs> I get on. You can just feel the difference. It shifts gears when you when you bring it live. You know, are you ever like sitting in a restaurant and like they're doing karaoke and you're just so tempted? You just, I'm just going to get there and knock this thing out. You know, uh, a long time ago, I was like that, but the show has taken off so much that um, when I'm not, you know, on stage, you know, it's kind of like, hey, let's conserve the voice, be a little bit on vocal rest, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't do that much anymore. <laughs> what inspired you to put together the traveling show? Yeah, so I get, you know, a call from these these agents that just keep saying over and over, hey, your your solo music's great, but we can book your your show at a greater dollar value, a greater capacity if you were to put together a George Michael tribute. So I put together um my my George Michael band, my George Michael show there in early 2019 and booked my first show at Anaheim House of Blues in August of 2019 and sold it out beyond capacity. It was absolutely crazy. You know, the general managers in my dressing room going, oh, my gosh, we're already 600 people beyond capacity and the line is still a mile around the door. We're going to get a fine here tonight. You know, so it took off from there. It took off really fast out of the gate and uh hasn't been looking back, you know. <laughs> you know, that's doing extremely well considering that was like in the middle of COVID. Yeah, it was um, you know, it it shot out of the gate in August 2019 and just pounded a ton of a ton of shows out for the remainder of 2019 and several early into 2020 and I remember we had uh, booked a huge show in Texas and we had landed and we arrived at the resort. And the place was like scrambling in a panic. And they're like, oh my gosh, we just had like 3,000 reservations cancel. And, um, you know, this this stupid, you know, this COVID thing is just scaring everybody. And we did that show. We were supposed to do a show in front of like 2,000. We ended up doing a show in front of about 400. And we flew home and it was all over, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you've, story for everyone. you've got some phenomenal videos and stuff on YouTube of your shows. I mean, the lighting and all of it is very much a real George Michael concert. Uh, that's what I, you know, that's what I try to, you know, bring to people is a, 
you know, just to take them back, I say, in a, a magical musical time machine to 1988, you know, and, you know, my show is originally called Careless Whisper, a tribute to George Michael. But what I kept consistently hearing over and over from people who had seen him live was, hey, you know, when, when I, I've seen other tributes and it reminds me of a person dressed up in a costume. But when I saw your show, it, it, it was it was creepy. They were like, we thought we were seeing George Michael reborn right before our very eyes. And that whole reborn thing kind of stuck. So ended up changing the name of the show. You know, Robert, when you go to put together a band that basically is going to emulate George's band, where do you find super fans of his that play bass and guitar? How did that work? Well, you know, it, it, I wouldn't say I find super fans. Actually, most of the people I end up employing for my show really were never, you know, big listeners to George Michael, uh, which is shocking, you know. But they, after they're given, you know, the the catalog of music I, they have to learn, they're like, my gosh, I've just fallen in love with this. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I don't know why it's worked out that way, but it has. But it's working out good. Do you play any instruments yourself? Um, actually, I do. I I play. Uh, I probably know about four hundred songs on my acoustic guitar, and that was my bread and butter before the show took off. I'd play at different barn grills and such, doing acoustic covers. So, yeah, that I I do play guitar. Play a little bit of keyboard, but um, yeah, I could get up and r- rock a whole show of all your favorite hits of the seventies and eighties and nineties on my guitar. That is so <laughs> great. What uh, what was that guitar that he had in the video? Faith, I remember it had like a metal face on it. Yeah, that was a Gretsch uh, Synchromatic. Yeah, very hard to get now. Probably very, very valuable. Yeah, I would think. Yes, and to think that he got his out of a pawn shop in the UK. Isn't that crazy? You're kidding me. No, uh, it took off from there, obviously. Wasn't there like a Wurlitzer, a Wurlitzer or something? There was a record machine that it starts on, I guess. I wonder where that thing is today. Oh, my gosh. It's in somebody's house, probably. Yeah, an old jukebox. <laughs> you know, don't you think Elvis Presley could have done the song Faith? Oh, my gosh. That would have been amazing. Wouldn't, oh, that, yeah. wouldn't that have been perfect for Elvis? I mean, really? Yes. Tell hey, you know, it was in uh, George Michael's uh, recent release of, uh, was that Freedom Uncut that they said he was the modern day Elvis. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally, totally could see it. Tell us about uh, how far you go with replicating the costumes, because, for instance, I always think about the BSA leather jacket. Did, did you have one made or did you find one? Well, that's funny you ask that. All of my costumes are handmade. The BSA jacket in particular was made by a guy out of uh, Dubai. Um, so I had found a, I don't know if the word is a seamstress or someone who's really gifted at making costumes online and said, Hey, I'm looking to have this jacket made. And, oh my gosh, we went back and forth with so many different body measurements because I wanted it to uh, fit in a certain way. I didn't want it to look like I was just wearing a hefty bag or something with (laughs) a patch across the back. But, um, yeah. And, um, he did a great job. I mean, the thing came in and fit perfect. And, um, I'm a pretty lean dude, you know, obviously I'm tributing the t- a 20 something George Michael. So I have to stay very fit. I don't ever want to outgrow this jacket because it took so much to get done. Right. And then, um, 
all of my other costuming has been handmade by my wife who, uh, you know, just painlessly sits there and punches stud work and, and rhinestone work through leather. And, uh, you know, where she's looking at these photos of these, you know, these, these jackets and such that he wore in his shows and recreating them. And she's nailed them. I mean, they're dead on. So <laughs> did he wear certain sunglasses that you've had to track down? Uh, yes, he wore uh, vintage uh, Ray-Bans that were, you know, these gold aviators, um, 62 millimeter in size. So I, I'm funny. If anybody ever tries to buy those on eBay and they go, darn it, I just missed another pair. It's me gobbling them up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it takes a lot of research to figure out what these things were. I mean, I know they didn't always wear the same glasses, correct? Uh the faith glasses are yeah. not the ones you see him later on, you know, the fate, the, the faded glasses that he's also known for. Yeah. It, I mean, the feel the, the, the um, Ray-Bans are pretty iconic with the whole faith look and such. So those are the ones I really go after that whole 1988 vibe. You know, it's funny. I wear a particular belt um, that he wore on his faith tour. It was a, a triumph belt. And um, I literally scoured the internet. There was only a few made. Um, and one, after about two, a little over two years of searching for this darn belt, one popped up on eBay. And I grabbed that thing so fast, they probably thought it was a malfunction or something, sure. you know. And uh, I paid 275 bucks for it. So I wear that in my show. And um I mean, you can find smaller versions of the one I bought, but to get the big, hefty, clunky, chunky one, it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, so there's a lot of research that goes into to gathering all the little pieces and nuances of his costuming. Was he a um, motorcycle boots, fan? Faith. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't think he was. I just think he loved the whole image that he had created. Um, oh, he was so good at that. My, oh yeah, such a such a cool image but yeah you know george was as good as madonna at reinventing his look like with every album or whatever do, do you think that contributed to his longevity and do you incorporate all of those different looks into the show well you know i i do think that had something to do with his longevity he kept it very fresh and though i do feel his his reinventing of himself was a reflection of who, who he was and how he was growing and evolving personally as well. You know, I mean, he left behind the teeny bop days of wham and, and um, I think he was just very honest and wore his, uh, his kind of evolutions out on his costuming. And um, I'm sorry, what was your second question? Well, you I had... just wondered, do you go through phases of your show like an Elvis oh. performer does a fifties Elvis and then they'll come back and do jumpsuit Elvis. Do you try to hit some of those different eras of his career? I do. Yeah. So when I'm doing the early, early wham UK, fantastic. The first album, I'm in a lot more of kind of bad boy leather stuff. And then obviously faith has the BSA. And then, you know, for like, um, Careless Whisper, I replicate what he wore when he did it live in China. And that was, you know, the white suit jacket. And then for Don't Let the Sun, I throw on the blue. And then I do the uh, denim jacket for a lot of, um, he wore that a lot on his face tour. So a lot of the numbers uh, off the face tour were that. And then um, 
I got a nice fringe jacket that he wore like in his um his uh last concert, you know, the wham you know, the final Wham mm-hmm. Wembley Stadium concert. And then um oh I I even have a cop outfit that I throw on for when I do the song outside because you know he had that big oh, controversial yeah. arrest. So yeah, <laughs> that's there's, right. I have a whole little suitcase of costumes that come with me. Have you ever tried or something when you do the earliest wham, is there anyone that sings like the Andrew Ridgely parts? You know, Andrew was really actually never really singing on any of that. Um, he was, uh, you know, miming a lot of George Michael's backup. Ah, and not really doing it. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Exactly. Well, no wonder he didn't yeah. need Andrew. Yeah, you know, I mean, George, you know, Andrew contributed some rhythm guitar parts, which, you know, obviously are included in the show. But yeah. What is the yeah, hardest a- George Michael song to sing? <sighs> That's a great question. Um, one more try is quite challenging. Um, Wake me up before you go go is very challenging. You know, I mean, you're 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 dancing around, you're spinning yeah. around, your vocal cords are drying out, and I got to go for those big falsettos. You know, so yeah, they're they're challenging. And that's why you just you're like, oh, Lord, please don't let me ever get the slightest bit of a cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that will really make it tough. You know, I I, oh, have, it, I have heard that during his lifetime, George Michael was aware of tribute acts to him. Is that true or did he support those guys? I know that during Elvis's lifetime, he he would go see Elvis impersonators. You know, I, I don't know either way on that. I have no idea. That's a great, great question, though. You know, I, I guess in the last years of George Michael's life, I guess he kind of had something in common with Michael Jackson and Elvis. He he kind of recla- became a recluse, did he not? Oh, yeah, he sure did. He really did. Yeah, I, I, I you know, my heart breaks for when you kind of look at the later years of George Michael. I think there was just some, I, I think the, the American press in particular was not very kind to him. Um. And, uh, you know, kind of used a lot of his life as just fodder for, you know, just creating, you know, tantalizing headlines. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, I think no matter how much of your skin you think is leather-like and repellent to such things, it's probably not. Um, I mean, that's just my, my, my kind of observation and guess at it, you know. What is your website, Robert? Oh, thanks for asking. It's georgemichaelreborn.com. Man, I sure appreciate you being on Guatney Unplugged, and good luck with the show tonight. Hey, thank you so much, and see you all soon, Arkansas. All right, thanks so much. We'll see you guys next week on Guatney Unplugged.